Okay, today's Bible reading comes from 1 John chapter 4, so you should have a Bible in front of you in the seats. You can find it on page 1023. I'll just give you a minute to find it. This is one of my favourite passages of Scripture. We had it read at our wedding. Okay, so, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not know love his brother whom he sorry, for he does for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, if you've got a Bible there, keep it open in front of you to that wonderful passage from John's first epistle. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about things on the front of this card. So you might want to keep it somewhere to hand over the coming weeks. We're not going to give you a new one every week, I don't think. Um, but it talks about the things that we want to be. If we're going to be a church that cares, we must be a church that cares because we worship a God who cares, he cares deeply about this world. He cares deeply about our lives. He cares deeply about this church. And so over the first five weeks here, we're going to think about each of these things. And so next week, I'm going to be thinking about our spiritual growth and discipleship. Uh, the week after, we'll be looking at our interactions with the community around us. Uh, the week after that, um, Alan, you're going to be opening up a section on compassion for us. How do we meet people's needs with the compassion of Christ? And then the final week, Tim, who's with the Sunday School children today, but works for a, a mission organization during the week, is going to be thinking about the part that a church like ours plays in the Great Commission of Christ to go from this city to this region, to the nation and to the ends of the earth. So that's where we're going. But before we get to any of that, the most important thing, if we're going to be a church that shares the love of Jesus Christ, is that we know that love. And so when I was thinking of what to preach on as our first gathering as a new church family, 
it was this passage that I wanted to speak from because it's so full of God's love and the outworking of that in our lives. And if we want to be a church that cares about sharing the love of Jesus Christ, then we need to know the God of love. We need to grow in the God of love. We need to be those who go to the God of love and those who show the God of love to those around us. So those are four very simple things we're going to see from this passage here this morning. So keep that open in front of you and let's look at this together. The first thing then, we need to know the love of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the first thing here is about knowing the God of love, knowing him. I love how this starts because it doesn't begin with a command. Did you notice that? It does say, let us love one another. But the most important word is the one that comes before. Beloved, let us love one another. If that was missing, you see, we might think it was down to us to somehow kind of conjure a love we don't really feel for one another. So undoubtedly in a group this size, there'll be people you find profoundly irritating. There'll be people you've got nothing in common with and maybe even people you wish weren't here. But you don't get to choose. We choose our friends, don't we? But we don't choose our family. God chose who would be here. And if they know and love Jesus Christ, then he sets a word on them that's really important for us to hear loudly, beloved. You see, when I look in the mirror, I'm profoundly disappointed by what I see. Not just by my physical appearance, which is deteriorating rapidly, but by the man I see. By the way he behaves, by the things that he thinks, the words that he says. I'm an almost endless disappointment to myself. And the danger, you see, I project that onto God. I think, wow, if I'm disappointed in me and he's got eight billion others and most of them are much more spectacular and better than me, he must be very disappointed. And, you know, the wonder of the gospel is this. God looks on me and he couldn't be any more pleased. He actually delights in someone as messed up and broken as me. He calls me his beloved. He set his love on me in Jesus and he isn't disappointing. I think for some of you, that's what you need to hear here this morning more than perhaps anything else. It's that you are loved with a love that is unbreakable. You're loved with a love that isn't disappointing you in any way. You're loved with a love that will never fail. You are loved. You are beloved. You are part of the bride of Christ. And he loves like no other. He loves you. And out of that secure, wonderful place of love, he says to us, then love one another. But he also shows us what love looks like. Did you notice that in this passage? He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest to us. We, we could see what it looked like. What did he do? God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. We think about that at Christmas time, don't we? How 
Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, left the glories of heaven and came down into this world to live as one of us and all because of love. But this passage goes further still to say what that love looked like. It says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is not one that we regularly use. Lots of Bible translations don't use it. It means atoning sacrifice or a sacrifice that turns away the wrath or the anger of someone else that it's dealt with. And I think for many of us, we struggle with the idea that God is angry. And yet, when we see injustice, don't we get angry? Susan, my wife, and I have been watching the ITV post office drama this week and then following it on the news. Let me just say, as I watch that, I have been burningly angry. I know zero postmasters personally. I know the one in the post office where I go, but uh, she's not part of the drama as far as I can tell. And yet as I watch these people being oppressed and disbelieved and their lives ruined, I've actually, I'm an emotional guy anyway, but I've had tears running down my face. There's nothing personal now, but I know that that's wrong. I know that falsely accusing people and destroying their lives and driving people to the brink of suicide and beyond, in some cases, people taking their own lives must be wrong. And there's an anger that comes with that, not just a sadness. Something must be done. And that's why our news is full of it at the moment, isn't it? MPs saying something must be done. There must be justice for the postmasters. You know, for God, it's always personal. The way we treat him, the way we treat others, the way we treat his world is deeply personal. He made this world. He made every single human being in it. And he's a God who cares and loves like no other. And so when he sees abuse of power, when he sees injustice, when he sees pure evil of the nature Alan's already prayed for this morning. He's not passive. He doesn't do nothing. He feels it deeply and he hates injustice and evil. And he's consistent in that. And he's made a massive promise. Do you know what it is? One day he's going to deal with every last drop of it and remove it from this universe. His wrath is the means by which he will deal with every last drop of evil in this world. But where it bites is this. He's also going to deal with every last drop of it in your life and in mine. You see, the reality is I've been thinking about love all week because of this passage. And I've one of those weeks where I've just struggled to love other people. I've done damage this week and harm, been unkind and harsh in the things that I've said. 
I've hurt people whom God loves. And I'd like to say that was a rare week for me. But sadly, that's a pretty normal week. You see, if heaven was for the good and for those who don't do any harm and love as God loves, then there's no place for me there. My attitudes, my words and my deeds shut me out. But the amazing love of God is this, that he provided an atoning sacrifice for my sin. He loved me in all of my rebellion against him. All the times I lived as if he wasn't there and doesn't care. He loved me so much. He sent Jesus to die for me. And, you know, he did the same for you. He sent Jesus Christ into this world, not for you on your best day, not for the days where you've cleaned yourself up and you've been good and you've been kind and you've said and done the right thing. But on those days where you are utterly ashamed of the person that you are, Christ died for you. And he did that so that he might open the way into a relationship with his father that until that point only he had none. An open relationship where you can talk to God anytime, place, anywhere, because you know him and he knows you. Here's three facts about someone. Do you know who this person is? They were born in London in 1947. They have one sister and one brother, and their dad was a wine merchant. Who thinks they know who that is? Anyone want to have a guess? People have, well, I thought it might be quite easy, but it isn't. We are all going to learn something new today. Any ideas? Queen Camilla. Born in London in 1947. She has one sister and a brother. And her dad was in the forces and then became a wine merchant. Let me tell you something. You may know things about Jesus Christ. You may know he was born two and a bit thousand years ago in Bethlehem. You may know he had brothers and sisters. You may even know some of their names. You may know he had a brother called Jude and a brother called James. You might know that his dad was called Joseph and he was a carpenter. You may even want to say, I'd push back on that. It wasn't really his dad. I know he was the son of God. You may know a lot of things. You may know this book inside out. But unless you know him, unless you know him, You've not even begun on this journey of faith. You see, I can know things about the queen, but she doesn't know me and I don't know her. And we can know things about the king of kings, but not know him. If we're going to be a church that cares, it begins with the people who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who know, them as, know him as their friend, one whom they turn to and talk to, one who they know has covered over their sin, one who they know loves them. Do you know that here this morning? Do you know him? The second thing this passage teaches is if we know him, then we're going to grow in him. Beloved, he says again, in case we've forgotten in the few sentences in between, how loved we are. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It's a repeat. But then he says something new. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That means it, it matures. It becomes to a point where it's complete. Not that we're ever going to be perfect kind of disciples this side of heaven, 
but that love grows in us. It becomes more complete, more mature. That's what happens. But you notice the word that gets repeated there. The word love is used about 27 times in this passage. But in these few verses, there's another word that's used a lot. God abides in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love, abides in God and God abides in him. I think John's trying to get something through to us. We abide in God and God abides in us. What does that even mean? I think John here is remembering some teaching. Do you remember the disciples were together on the night that Jesus was betrayed? And Jesus prayed and a number of things he prayed to hear. And he explained some things and a number of things that he explained are picked up on here. And he said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener or farmer. Whatever word you want to use, whatever's appropriate. And he said, if you abide in me, then you will bear much fruit. But without me, you'll do nothing. And I think that's the thought that he picks up on here that we need to abide in this relationship to know that we actually have a home that's with God. Moses is credited, I think, with only one psalm. I don't know if you know which one it is. I won't ask for guesses to be here all day. It's 150 of them. Psalm 90. And in the Good News Bible, the first verse just says this. Oh, Lord, you have always been our home. Oh, Lord, you have always been our home. To abide is to know that the place where we belong is with God and that he's made his home in our hearts by his spirit. There's something very sad, isn't there? When you walk through the streets around here, maybe down East Street, and you look into a doorway and you see a couple of guys sleeping rough. They're homeless. And whatever's brought them to that point, that's the place where they've now decided they belong, where they're going to sleep, where they're going to be. And yet I don't think any of us look at that and think that's okay, that's right, that's where they belong. We might be cross about that, or we might be hugely sympathetic towards people, but we know that's not a home. And we also know something more important still, don't we? A home is way more than a roof and a bed, isn't it? Home's the place where you're loved. Home's the place where your things are around you and the person that you are can just be you. You don't have to be afraid. It's a safe place. And even if no one else found it like that, you do. It's your home. And we look at someone living rough and we realize that there is no family member they feel they can now be with. There's no friends they feel they could call on and even crash on their sofa anymore. They've burnt those bridges or they never had them in the first place. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. We have a home. It's a permanent home. It's not just when we get to heaven that we have a place. We have a home now. We have a home within the love of God 
because the God of love loves us. It's a place where we're safe. It's a place where we're never going to be turfed out. It's a place where we can grow in the love of God because we know we're safe and secure. There's nothing that he's going to discover about you and me that's going to mean he doesn't want us anymore. Human love is always conditional. We love people better if they treat us well. Not this God. He loves you as much on your worst day as your best. And so within that relationship, we can grow. He's given us two gifts. Verse 13 says he's given us his spirit. So his spirit lives within our hearts. But also verse 14 says there's another gift. We've seen and testify the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So whoever confesses Jesus, the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. He's given us the testimony of John and the other eyewitnesses so that we can know Jesus Christ through this reliable word and grow in our love for him. We're going to be a church that shares the love of God. We need to know that love. We need to grow in that love and we need to go to the God of love. Look at the next verses. It says, by this is love perfected, completed in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is in the world, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love i need to go to this god ultimately it's where we will go when we leave this world we'll go to him but we need to go to him now why is it that so many of us get anxious i've actually had people before when they talk about heaven trying to touch wood or touch their head as if it's made out of wood not confident that that's going to be where they go when they die why is it that we're so fearful, so afraid? I think it's because we don't go to God now. So I think for a lot of us, we treat God like we're being appraised by our boss. And we kind of need to show our good side to him so that he'll, he'll love us more. So we kind of want to go to him when we're, we're feeling great about ourselves, when all's well, or we're, we're better in those moments. When we get things wrong, we try to cover them up. A story told by an American preacher called Max Licardo. He used to have a dog, and the dog was generally well-behaved. But when it got bored, it tended to go through the bins in their yard, open them out, and just rummage through the rubbish, trying to find treats. And if they left him for any length of time, it was always more likely to happen. When the dog got bored, it would go through the rubbish. Well, Max said he'd been out one day, and when he got back, the yard was just covered. The dog had knocked over every single bin and rifled through looking for treats. And Max kind of sighed and then went and got the bin bags and kind of shoveled and put all the bins back together as they were. And then he realized something was missing. There's no sign of his dog. Normally, you see, it had got in after a long down. The dog would have come bounding up just so pleased to see him, but there was no sign of the dog. And Max said he went around the house, just looking in all the usual places. Eventually went upstairs into the bedrooms, still couldn't see the dog. So looking more carefully, looked under one of the beds and found the dog had hidden itself under one of the beds. Dog was sure it was going to be in trouble. Dog didn't want to be anywhere near its master in that moment. And Max said, 
pretty much by the time he cleared up all the rubbish from the yard, he was done with, the, with being angry at the dog. He'd already forgiven the dog in his heart. And then he was worried about the dog because he couldn't find the dog anywhere. Where was it? So by the time he saw the dog under the bed, all he wanted to do was reach out and grab his dog and cuddle his dog and say to the dog, it's okay. I've sorted out the mess. It's dealt with. It's done. It's not just dogs that do that, is it? Do you sometimes get bored and go through the rubbish in the bins of your heart? Do you have days where you do the thing you know you're not supposed to do, that you vowed you'd never do again? I think in those moments, we often want to hide from God. We feel ashamed. We, want to, we almost want to put the rubbish back in the bins ourselves, but we can't. No more than that dog could. We need to understand that when Jesus died on that cross, he did it for those moments. That our God is not angry with us. We don't need to hide from him. And if we just came on our worst days to him more often, we wouldn't be afraid about that final day. Because we think, well, he knows all about me anyway. He knows how often I mess up. He knows the sort of person I am. And he's forgiven me again and again and again and again. Forgiveness is not the start of the Christian life. It's the way through. Repentance isn't something we do when we first came to the cross. It's a daily activity of repentance and faith, of belief and trust, and of joy that we have a God who loves us so much that we can go to him in all seasons. We need to know the love of God. We need to grow in the love. We need to go to the love of God because then we won't be afraid on that final day. We'll know he'll be pleased to see us. Lastly, we need to share that love. John finishes here. He says, we love because he first loved us. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with him. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. The reality of our faith will be seen to a large extent in the way we treat one another. Make a stop and think. What can we do in a few minutes that's going to show love to one another? Why is it a lie? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. I think John, again, is thinking about that upper room. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We're to show that love. In a moment, it'll be coffee time. You can show that love to others. We're going to go into a new week. Are there opportunities here for us to show love to one another, even going into this week? It's amazing that love and hate are just seen so easily. But let me tell you this, so are indifference and withdrawal. We need to be those who are proactive in loving one another, going out of our way, to be loving and kind to one another, doing it when we don't feel like doing it because that's how God loves us. 
And you know, that sort of love is really appealing in a world out there where there's so little of it. By this will all people know you are my disciples if you love one another. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. You know, in John's gospel, he says, if you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. That's Jesus. But do you see what he says here in this letter? In verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. When the world want to see, wants to see what the God of the Bible looks like, we often think what we need to do is give them information. What they need to see are lives transformed by his love. Because in an incredible way, when we love as he loves, he's made manifest among those who don't yet know him. Brothers and sisters, that is a high calling. And so, beloved, let us love one another. Let me pray. Father, these are deep things, wonderful things, because you are a God of wonderful love. And Father, we pray that we might know that love and grow in that love and go to you as the God of love in those moments where we feel least able to do so. And we might show that love, Lord, to those around us, that they might see more of Christ. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And we pray you do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.